How's it going, sports fans? My name is Jack, and this is the second episode of the Talkin' Jack Sports Podcast. We've got a lot to talk about this week, but it's going to be mostly NBA with some NFL analysis coming at the end. We're going to start with the Kemba Walker trade, some coach firings, the continuation of the NBA playoffs. We're going to touch on the NBA draft lottery that just happened, and we're going to talk about the AFC East in the NFL and do an analysis on the teams in that division. It should be a lot of fun, but before we get into it, I just want to mention that I'm trying to tighten these episodes up, so in the future you can expect them to be around the 30 to 35 minute range. And with all that out of the way, let's jump into the content, and we'll start off with the Kemba Walker trade, which happened a little while ago. This trade was between the Celtics and the Thunder, and the transaction included Kemba Walker, the number 16th overall pick in this year's draft, and a 2025 second round pick being shipped to Oklahoma City for Al Horford, Moses Brown, and a 2023 second rounder. And clearly the stars of this deal were Kemba Walker, that first round pick from this year, going for Al Horford and a pick and a player. I've seen some mixed reactions to this trade, but I definitely think it benefits both sides and uh, helps them get to where they want to go. On the Thunder's side of it, they get another pick to add to their repertoire of first rounders, And they get a possibly good player if they can work out Kemba Walker's, I believe, knee injuries. Um, And if they can, he can be a really good acquisition for this team um, or good trade bait for another team if he plays well in Oklahoma City. Um, And on the Celtics side of it, they were willing to get rid of a first rounder to also get rid of Kemba's huge contract, which really helps them, I believe, get to where they want to go, which is back to competing in the East. Um, because it allows them to possibly acquire another player. Um, and another player was what they acquired in this trade, although it wasn't really what they were looking for. Um, Al Horford definitely can help them out because he's been in this system before not too long ago. And um, I believe he fits them pretty well right now because they kind of need a presence down low. And he can be that even if it's off the bench. I think he could be good juice off the bench because he is declining, let's be honest, but he isn't completely terrible right now. I think he can still contribute on a Celtics team that really needs someone to contribute in that spot. Now let's move into some coach firings in the NBA. And while Scott Brooks wasn't technically fired, uh, his contract was not extended, so he's not going to be with the team. Um, and I I don't want to touch on him for too long because I don't have a ton to say. I just uh, don't think it's entirely his fault that the Wizards weren't good this year. They made the playoffs, but an 8-8 in the East is pretty sad. Um, I definitely think he could have been better, and a better coach can help bring this team back from the depths. Um, I think it was overall probably a good move to get rid of Scott Brooks, but he's not a terrible coach. He's going to get a job somewhere, maybe not as a head coach, but he'll probably get another head coaching opportunity in the future. Um, I don't think he was terrible, and it wasn't his uh, entirely his fault that the Wizards were bad, but overall, good move, in my opinion, to uh, seek somebody else. Uh, now we move to the Pelicans, where Stan Van Gundy was fired one year into a four-year deal, which is Um, kind of alarming. I don't think many people expected this, but I think uh, we can tell from that decision that he and the Pelican star Zion Williams uh, Williamson did not mesh very well. Um, Because if a coach gets fired a single year into a four-year contract, uh, clearly something is wrong between him and the star. Because you don't really 
do that in the NBA, I think, especially on a team. I just, I, I do, that has to be the reason, I think, because if it's not the reason, I don't really understand the move. He wasn't especially great this year, but Stan Van Gundy has a decent track record in this league. Um, there's a reason he got this job in the first place. Um, but if it really was, uh, the reason, if this was the reason he and Zion not working, then it was probably a good move. Also, there have been some rumblings lately of Zion being unhappy with the team, uh, and wanting to move on to another city. I'm not sure how much of this is him saying this rather than his family, but if the, if the Pelicans believe that this will help him uh, stay here and be happy about it, then yes, definitely a good move. Our third coach is Rick Carlisle, who was let go after 13 years with the team, and he's getting another job somewhere else. Uh, let's put that out there. Honestly, he might even get the uh, previously talked about Pelicans job, but he and Luka Doncic didn't work. That was established. So I think this was a good move because you want your star to be happy with the team, especially when you need to go out and get him a second star because Porzingis isn't that, as I talked about in the previous episode. And I think an elite coach, I don't know who that could be, um, but an elite coach and one more really, really good player could put this team over the top and allow them to truly compete in the West, which is clearly the tougher of the two conferences. Backtracking a little bit actually to the Pelicans again, I wanted to throw in that if the Pelicans want to truly keep Zion happy, a good way to do that is to bring in Coach K for some role, not necessarily even head coaching, just some role, like a consultant, I an assistant, really whatever, because he and Zion reportedly have an excellent relationship. So bringing him into the organization for some role would help keep Zion happy, in my opinion. And now we move on to the meat of this episode, which is the continuation of the NBA playoffs, mainly the conclusion of the second round and beginning of the conference finals. I first would like to talk about the Hawks and 76ers series. Um, that was horrible for the 76ers future. I think that was very detriment. Well, actually, there are kind of two sides of it. I think that was terrible for the Sixers present, but for the Sixers future, I think this was actually a good thing. I know Sixers fans right now are very upset saying that this is um, almost entirely Doc Rivers' fault, and I don't think they're necessarily incorrect. I do think that he is not the only one to blame, um, but late in games, he did struggle a lot with making adjustments and such. Um, but I do think the man that I want to throw under the bus the most for the Sixers um, loss in seven games would be Ben Simmons. And I know I am not alone in this belief. Um, he consistently in this series had a negative impact on the court. And this almost entirely comes from his inability to make free throws. And I believe as the series progressed, he got increasingly scared of going to the free throw line and started to uh just not shoot and in this series he had a 33 percent free throw percentage and he only attempted 6.4 shots a game which for a score first point guard 
is, well, you know, I actually wouldn't say he's score first, but for a guy who um, who creates most of his field goals at the rim is not good because when you are drawing in contact going to the rim, you need to be a decent free throw shooter. This is also a problem with Giannis, who we will uh, talk about shortly. However, I believe that the relationship between he and the 76ers' other star, Joel Embiid, um, the relationship between their two games, not necessarily a friendship relationship, I think it's not good at all uh, because their games don't play off of each other well at all. Because Simmons, like I mentioned, is a guy who creates most of his points at the rim. And Joel Embiid is a guy that sits there and clogs the lane somewhere that Simmons needs to go to score. So I just don't think they play off of each other very well. So I think this duo needs to be broken up. And it's been talked about for so long now that this duo should be separated. But I think now's the time. Because late in this series, even Doc Rivers was putting out Shake Milton to take the ball out in crunch time. Like, he knows that Ben Simmons is not the type of guy that this team needs because they want to build around Embiid, not Simmons. So to do that, Simmons needs a fresh start somewhere else. And I believe he can thrive. I think he can be a really good number two. I don't think he can be a number one. I don't think he's proven that. He can be a good number two, an excellent number three, which at some points this year he kind of was because Tobias Harris was one of the Sixers' uh, better scorers as well, usually better than, not usually, but sometimes better than Simmons. Um, But I think this duo needs to be broken up because uh, in this series especially, Embiid's value was shown. He averaged 30 points, 13 rebounds, 4 assists, and Simmons' previously mentioned stats were not great. Defensively, he's still very good, which is why I think he could be good on another team because the Sixers right now, he and Embiid just, they don't work. They're the two stars, and when they don't work, they need to be broken up. That's my point. Now moving on to the Hawks side. Um, they played very impressively. They played a very um, they played very team-oriented game, and that's evident in the fact that the Hawks had six players averaging double figures uh, in this series. Trey Young especially was fantastic, averaging 29 points and 11 assists. Um, as a whole, this Hawks team played very well with a lot of... Uh, a lot of assertiveness and confidence, especially with Trey, who um, the majority of the series, the Sixers just couldn't defend at all. Um, without Trey Young, this series would have been an easy Sixers win, but Trey led them to this win. Um, but again, it was a very team-oriented game, which is usually how the Hawks play throughout history. Uh, maybe recent history. I don't know about their whole history, but... Um, I do worry about them in the conference finals against the Bucks, and I'll get to that shortly. But I, I um, am impressed with their performance in this series. They uh, won it in seven games, but I don't know how much farther they can go. Now we move on to the Clippers Jazz series, where the Clippers won it without Kawhi Leonard, and that's a pretty known fact in the NBA circle at this point. But uh, Paul George played fantastic. Um, he averaged in the series 29, 10, and 5, and uh, not to mention Terrence Mann's incredible showing in Game 6, which was the uh, dagger in the series, scoring 39 points. Um, 
But I do want to touch on the Clippers a little later, so I'll focus on the Jazz right now and how it was not at all Donovan Mitchell's fault that they lost this series. He averaged 35-5-5, which was incredible. Um, And he did that without um, Mike Conley, who was out for the majority of the series. I believe he came back game six, but he didn't have much of a uh, contribution seeing as he didn't play uh, his normal amount of minutes. But I think actually... Rudy Gobert is to blame a little bit more because he is, at this point right now, he is an offensive liability. Defensively, he's great, as shown in his uh, Defensive Player of the Year acquisition again this year. Uh, He's a great defender. However, on the offensive side, he is a complete liability. He had a, and even with his defensive brilliance, in Game 6, which was the last game in the series, he had a plus-minus of a negative 24, which is awful. Um, he just, I, I don't really know where the Jazz, uh, should go from here. I think they have a really nice bench play with, uh, Jordan Clarkson. I think that was, um, one of their strengths They're They were a really good, uh, overall team this year. I just, I don't know where they go from here because they've been, uh, they've been consistently great in the regular season and consistently average in the postseason, getting bounced in the first or second round, almost all of recent history. So I just, I'm not really sure what they should do from this point. Now for the Clippers side of things, um, Kawhi not being there has very mixed repercussions for him and the team. Um, I believe that he was extremely inconsistent throughout the playoffs. He is an X factor on this team because if he decides that he wants to go all out that game, he is more often than not the best player on the court. However, if he comes back in Uh, this next series, which I will be talking about shortly, Um, and he is average, mediocre, the Clippers are average and mediocre, and and actually decline, I think that could mean some pretty bad things for the Clippers uh, concerning his decision in free agency to pick up his player option. Um, Because him not playing in this series and Paul George winning it for him gives Kawhi some well-needed rest, I do think it can be a good thing because he can come back and be even better than before and Paul George can go back to being um, what he's used to in this team, which is a secondary role. It doesn't need to be the main scorer because I don't think he can be that for long periods of time. I think he had a nice stretch in those uh, last two games of the series um, and beyond. However, he could come back and the Clippers might not be uh, as good as before. And that could mean some pretty bad things for his choice this offseason. So I'm excited to see uh, what becomes of Kawhi's uh, performance in this upcoming series, whether he performs at all. Um, so, yeah, I guess we'll just have to stay tuned. And now we have the Phoenix Suns and Denver Nuggets series, which was a sweep in the Suns' favor. And, uh, well, yeah, it was pretty unfortunate for the Nuggets that uh, Nikola Jokic was ejected in Game 4. I don't even agree with that uh, that choice. Their fate was all but sealed. The Nuggets weren't winning that series. They might have won the game, but they weren't going to win the series. Um, well, actually, now that I think about it, if they did win that game, they, uh, they were in a pretty good spot, seeing as how Chris Paul uh, was knocked out of playing games. <laughs> um... I don't know if they would have won the series. I doubt it, uh, seeing as how the uh, conference finals have gone so far. 
But um, anyway, the Nuggets need another star. I don't think this is kind. This is kind of story with a lot of these playoff teams that are getting knocked out. Um, but Jokic can't do it all himself, which was very evident in Game Four, where Nuggets actually played pretty okay in Jokic's absence. But Aaron Gordon didn't contribute as much as the Nuggets wanted him to. Uh, Jamal Murray was out for the playoffs. Yeah, that was a horribly large loss for them. But even if uh, he came back, I doubt the Nuggets would have had a different fate in these playoffs. Kind of the same stuff as the Jazz for me right now. I just don't know where they go from here because they've been consistently great in the regular season and consistently slightly above average in the playoffs. Um, I think they can compete with the team that they have. I just don't know if they can win uh, the conference finals, go to the NBA finals, win that with the team that they have. It remains to be seen, I guess. And now moving on to our last series, we have the Bucks nets series where the Bucks took advantage of the Nets' injuries, contrary to my belief in the previous episode where I believed the Nets would pull away even though they were injured. Um, I do not place a single bit of blame on Kevin Durant for this series. Um, he played extremely, extremely well uh, amidst the injuries surrounding him. He uh, had 35-11-5 in this series. Um, not having James Harden and uh, Kyrie Irving was the reason that they lost. I believe if they had all of those players for the duration of the series, even if they weren't even at 100%, they would have won. Um, that's just based off of the first two games in the series. I um, I believe that James Harden contributed in uh, Game 7. I think he was uh, not at 100% for sure. But if they had Kyrie Irving, they would have won that game, in my opinion. Um Kevin Durant played excellent. He had one of the greatest games in playoff history, uh, in recent playoff history um, that I've seen in, I believe it was game four or five when, uh, I think it was game five, when he had neither Harden nor Kyrie for the only game in this series. Um, He played excellent that game, won it, but he couldn't replicate it for the rest of the series, which who can blame him. That was an incredible performance. That's pretty much only a one-off. If you can replicate that for the entirety of the series and win it, uh, people could call him the best player in the league, which he might be anyway. Uh, but anyways, um, Giannis and Chris Middleton popped off this series. Giannis averaged 32, 13, and 4. Uh, Chris Middleton averaged 29 points the last three games of the series, which were the most important for the Bucks. Um, but Giannis has a giant hole in, it, hole in his game. Uh, very similar to Ben Simmons, uh, except he can shoot better than Simmons, but from the free throw line, well, yeah, he's still better than Simmons. He only averaged a uh, 48.3 free throw percentage this uh, this series. So I think if he can tighten up his free throws, and I think that kind of had a similar effect on him to where it did Ben Simmons, where he... um, was shying away from contact, fading away on shots. He wasn't driving to the basket as much because he was afraid of going to the free throw line. Uh, he kind of tightened that up later in the series, game six, and more, uh, most importantly, game seven. Um, if he can tighten that up, he can be extremely dominant. But right now, uh, it is a giant hole in his game. And uh, now we will go over the conference finals and the uh, Suns and Clippers series has gone through two games at this point. Uh, in game one, without Chris Paul, the Suns uh, 
did quite well actually. Uh, Devin Booker's uh, 40, 11, and 13 triple double was extremely impressive. Um, and the reason pretty much why the Suns won, he led them to victory, which was very impressive. Um, but in game two, which was uh, quite a bit closer, just a single point separating uh, the winner and the loser, uh, the Suns won that game. They are up two to nothing in this series. Um, and while Paul George was relatively clutch in the final minutes of that game, he missed two free throws in the uh, final 30 seconds. And that led to uh, DeAndre Ayton uh, getting one of the coolest alley-oops I've seen in a while. It was very unexpected. Nobody thought that was going to be the play. It was super cool. <laughs> and that was the game winner. I I loved that. That was cool. But uh, that wouldn't have even been in the cards had Paul George uh, made his free throws. And even one of his free throws, that alley-oop, would have sent the game to overtime where the Clippers could have possibly pulled away. Um, I still think this series will end up Suns in seven because I think Kawhi will come back and so will Paul George eventually. Um, or excuse me, so will Chris Paul eventually. Um, but I don't know when that will be. We don't really have a timetable on it. There's not much known about it. But we do know that Kawhi uh, is not in a super great spot. But I think he's going to come back for this series because the Clippers down two will um, kind of motivate him to come back sooner, in my opinion. Um, but I think it's going to be Suns in seven. I think Kawhi will come back and lead them to a couple wins, but Suns are still going to take it. Um, and the series that starts tonight, as of recording this, uh, Bucks Nets. Uh, I'm sorry, Bucks Hawks. I will take the Bucks in six, just because I don't think. Uh, I don't think the Bucks, uh, or sorry, the Hawks match up well against the Bucks. I think uh, the Hawks often like to play small, and the Bucks have a lot of dominant, physical, powerful, tall guys on the court. Um, so just overall, the Hawks have a very bad matchup uh, in front of them. But um, their star Trey Young is not super great <laughs> defensively. Uh, in a series, the Hawks won over the 76ers. Uh, Trey averaged a plus-minus of negative 2.4, which really goes to show, even through his offensive brilliance, defensively, he is a massive liability, um, which is why I believe the Bucks will take this one with relative ease. I still think Trey will uh, lead them to a win or two just because he's so brilliant, um, but I think the series uh, will end in a Bucks victory in six games. And next, we have the draft lottery, the NBA draft lottery that happened last night as of recording this. Um... It's not super exciting stuff. I just wanted to go over it. Uh, Detroit got the number one pick in the draft. I think they had the second worst record in the league behind Houston, who was the worst record in the league, and they got the um, they got the number two pick. So not too many exciting uh, upsets here. The most upsetty one was after Cleveland gets the number uh, the number three pick, uh, Toronto got the number four pick, which wasn't super likely to happen. Um, but then Orlando got the five pick, uh, the fifth pick. That's how words work. The fifth pick. Oklahoma City got the sixth. Uh, Minnesota got the seventh, but that pick belongs to Golden State. Chicago has eight, but that pick belongs to Orlando. And Sacramento, nine. New Orleans, 10. Charlotte, 11. San Antonio, 12. Indiana, 13. Golden State, 14. So Golden State has uh, 
two picks in the first round, as does Orlando. So they're set up pretty well. I don't really have any thoughts on this. I just think it's kind of cool to go over, I guess. (laughs) And now we move into what will likely be my favorite part of the episode. I continue to break down each of the eight divisions in the NFL, and this week I'll be doing the AFC East. So we'll start with last year's division winner, the Buffalo Bills. For those who don't know, in this series, which I will be making this a series, I'm breaking down uh, each team's projected starters and just talking about how well I think they will do in the division and how far I think they'll go. Maybe I'll give a projection for uh, the ordering of teams by the end of uh, this upcoming season. But uh, let's get into it with the Bills. And uh, quarterback Josh Allen is as solid as ever. Uh, The running back spot is tough to project, but uh, right now it is Devin Singletary, I believe. Uh, Zach Moss was a uh, is a second year player who had some promise as a rookie last year. I think he will get carries and uh, free agent pickup Matt Breida will also get some carries. Um, Wide receiver, they're fairly diverse. Stephon Diggs is clearly the star. Cole Beasley is one of the best number twos across the league. Um, And second year, Gabriel Davis and uh, free agent uh, Emmanuel Sanders. Well, he's no longer a free agent, but they picked him up this year in free agency. Emmanuel Sanders uh, will likely split reps at number three. Um, It's it's kind of either way who gets that third spot, but uh, they're both very solid options. At tight end, you have the still pretty solid Dawson Knox. He might uh, need an upgrade, but he's still good. Uh, and the offensive line from left to right is Deion Dawkins, Cody Ford, Mitch Morse, John Feliciano, and Darrell Williams, in my opinion, and above average offensive line. Uh, on defense, we have Jerry Hughes, Ed Oliver, Justin Zimmer, and Mario Addison, uh, your front four, and at linebacker, Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds, and your secondary looks like Tredavious White, Levi Wallace, and Taron Johnson at corner, and Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde at safety, which um, their defense still looks great on paper, um, but uh, the, the rookies that they took in the first two rounds, uh, that being Greg Rousseau and Boogie Basham, uh, we're both edge rushers, and they will likely assume a starting spot somewhere this year. Uh, Greg Rousseau is a guy who definitely needs time to develop, as uh, we all in the NFL circle uh, should know by now. Um, that's the reason he dropped to number 30 in the draft. Uh, but I'm excited for the Bills. They're going to be just as good, if not better, than last year. And now let's talk about last year's division loser, the New York Jets, who will be likely starting uh, rookie Zach Wilson at quarterback. I think he will fare the worst of the five first-round quarterbacks in this draft. I'm sorry. I just think the Jets don't have as good of of an offensive line or weapons as the other teams that the quarterbacks went to. But uh, anyway, uh, running back right now, Looks like it'll be Tevin Coleman's job, but uh, rookie Michael Carter is probably going to get in there a little bit. Um, they have four pretty good wide receivers to play with, uh, being free agent acquisition Corey Davis, uh, rookie Elijah Moore, second-year receiver Denzel Mims, and uh, another free agent acquisition, Keelan Cole. Um, 
And I think uh, they will all get reps. Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, I think, will be the uh, n- number one and two, respectively. Uh, maybe Denzel Mims will get time at two. But uh, Keelan Cole is not a bad fourth option. Uh, Chris Herndon at tight end is pretty solid. And uh, left guard Makai Becton was one of the best uh, rookies at uh, on the offensive line last year. Uh, rookie Elijah Vera Tucker should start at left guard. And then there's uh, center Cobb McGovern. Uh, right guard, Greg Van Rotten, and right tackle, George Fant. Um, overall, not a terrible offensive line compared to last year. There's definitely some promise, especially with uh, Elijah Vera Tucker um, likely being very poised to succeed at left guard. So I'm excited for the Jets' offense. I think it's not going to be terrible if Zach Wilson can uh, can play. Um, uh, their defense is a bit more of a question mark. They have Quinn and Williams, uh, Fulo Ronsu, Fatuka- Fatukasi, uh, definitely pronounced that right. Absolutely. I did great. Uh, Sheldon Rankins, free agent acquisition, Carl Lawson, uh, Gerard Davis and CJ Mosley at linebacker. Um, and in the secondary, Bless Austin and Bryce Hall at corner and Marcus May, Ashton Davis and LaMarcus Joyner uh, at safety. And I would just like to add that Marcus May is eternally underrated. He's very, very good at safety. Um, I think their defense can be good. I just think it's a bit of a question mark right now. They probably need um, a bit more presence on the outside at edge rusher. Um, I just, I don't know. I I think the Jets are probably going to be last in their division again. But I think they have the tools to maybe be uh, exciting next year. I'm excited to uh, see how they fare. Now let's go over the Patriots. And uh, Cam Newton right now is their projected starter at quarterback. Um, Mac Jones will probably, uh, be starting somewhere around midseason, maybe after their bye week. But, uh, right now it's Cam Newton's job, in my opinion. Um, at running back, Damian Harris is projected to be their starter. I mean, they usually like to, uh, they usually like to run the committee. Um, but I think Damian Harris will probably get the most work. Um, at wide receiver right now, their only two starters are free agent acquisition, uh, Nelson Aguilar and uh jacoby myers who i mean it could be kendrick Bourne as well uh he was also a free agent uh acquisition but um it'll probably be jacoby myers in my opinion alongside nelson aguilar who is definitely going to be their number one i don't know if he is a number one but he'll be their number one um, they're going to run a two tight end set likely with, uh, both free agent acquisitions. Most of this, uh, starting lineup is, uh, built off of these guys, uh, Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, two of the better tight ends in the league, as many people have pointed out in, uh, these two signings. Um, and a projected top five offensive line in Isaiah Wynn, Michael Onwenu, who was an excellent rookie on the offensive line last year, one of the biggest steals of the draft. Center David Andrews, uh, right guard Shaq Mason, and uh, right tackle Trent Brown, who is likely the biggest wild card after being traded back to the New England Patriots this offseason. Um, on defense is a bit more of a question mark. Um, they have Lawrence Guy, David Gotchaw. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. G-O-D-C-H-A-U-X. Gotchaw? I don't know. Um, Matt Judon and Kyle Van Noy at outside linebacker. Um, Dante Hightower comes back after opting out last year at linebacker. Uh, Adrian Phillips is kind of a combo linebacker safety type guy. Uh, that's where he's projected to go. Um, and in your secondary, you have, uh, corners, Stefan Gilmore, JC Jackson, and Jonathan Jones. Um, 
JC Jackson is also internal, eternally underrated, very, very good player. Uh, and safety is Devin McCourty, who continues to uh, defy father time, and Kyle Duggar. And I think uh, they have a lot of potential here, uh, especially with guys that uh, on the defense aren't even projected to start. Uh, guys by the name of Jawan Bentley, uh, Dietrich Wise, especially Chase Winovich, actually. I was kind of upset I couldn't find... Uh, a spot to maybe slide him in, but I don't think he'll probably, I don't think he'll start week one unless he really shows up, uh, in preseason or something. Uh, and then there's rookies, uh, Christian Barmore and Ronnie Perkins who could also get some, get some reps. But, um, I just think their defense has a lot of flexibility, which is good. Um, but I, I don't know if it has a lot of potential because I think a lot of these guys, aside from the rookies, of course, have kind of reached their ceiling, um, Matt Judon, who I didn't even uh, really mention, I kind of glossed over him, one of their uh, many free agent acquisitions as well, uh, and Kyle Van Noy, actually, I forgot about that, he's back as a Patriot um, after being cut from the Dolphins, so I just think um, this, this defense uh, has a lot of flexibility, there's a lot of guys that can sub in, um, a lot of talent to go around, uh, but we'll see how it, uh, how it fares. And I think uh, their offense um, can only really go as far as Cam Newton and Mac Jones when he eventually gets his shot, um, because I think their running back committee will be as as consistent as ever, which is to say uh, not consistent, because <laughs> one of their many running backs can go off on any given week. But I think Damian Harris is arguably the most talented out of them, so he'll probably get the most work, as I mentioned. Um, and then their wide receiver group is their obvious, uh, obviously their most weak position group on the team. Uh, but that shouldn't matter too much when you have two, um, probably top 12 tight ends in the league in Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. So I'm excited to see what this team can do, but again, they can only fly as high as Cam Newton and, uh, Mac Jones. And now we have, uh, what I believe to be the wild card of the division, the Miami Dolphins, uh, who are starting second year quarterback to a Tagovailoa, who I think um, really controls this team's ceiling. Uh, it depends on how well he will do um, for how well the Dolphins as a team will do. Um, and they don't really have a number one running back. Uh, right now it's Miles Gaskin, but it doesn't. who really knows right now. Uh, they're going to be uh, flying high at wide receiver with uh, mainstay Devontae Parker and... Um, New guys, uh, Will Fuller in free agency, and Jalen Waddle through the draft. Um, tight end, Mike Gusecki is as good as always. I think he is uh, way above average in this league. And developing offensive line uh, from left to right, Austin Jackson, Solomon Kinley, Matt Skura, Robert Hunt, and Liam Eichenberg. Really, um, at right guard and right tackle, Hunt and Eichenberg, uh, Eichenberg being the rookie, uh, can kind of swap spots, but I think Eichenberg will probably be at right tackle this season, and Hunt will be at guard. Um, they uh, have a really young offensive line. They have some uh, some veterans in the back as well, though, with DJ Fluker and Jesse Davis. Um, so I think their offense has a lot of potential, but it's really controlled by uh, Tagovailoa. Um, so on defense, there is Christian Wilkins, Raquan Davis, Emmanuel Ogba, rookie Jalen Phillips, uh, Bernard McKinney, Andrew Van Ginkle, who replaces the cut uh, Calvin Noy, uh, 
And uh, in the uh, in the secondary, you have Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, Noah Igbenogany, and safeties Eric Rowe and Jevin Holland, who is also a rookie. So they have a lot of young guys on this team, a lot of second-year guys, a lot of rookies. So I'm excited to see what they can do. I think uh, both sides of the ball have immense potential. I think their secondary uh, on defense is probably their strong suit. Jalen Phillips will help a lot off the edge because that's uh, a spot where they arguably struggled last year. But like I've said countless times, this team can only go as far as Tua, who we still don't know if he's the answer or not. Right now, I definitely have the Bills winning the division, probably with a record of around 13-4. and four. Um, I think the Dolphins and Patriots are kind of hovering in 9-8 uh, and eight limbo. I think the Dolphins will do maybe a game better than the Patriots. Dolphins number two, Patriots three in the division. And then the Jets will uh, probably be uh, in like 6-11 and 11 limbo, maybe uh, 7-10, and 10, uh, which are really weird records to say because this is 17th game now for every team. But um, yeah, I'm excited to see what all these teams can do. Um, and this division is definitely going to be uh, one of the most one of the most developmental because there's a lot of important rookies on all of these teams. So I'm excited to see uh, where they all go. With that said, that's gonna be the end of this episode. Um, I hope all of you enjoyed. Thank you so very much for tuning in, for listening, for supporting, however it may be. And I will catch you guys next week. Take care. <laughs>